Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining me today in this podcast. Let's get started. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you develop strategies to make difficult decisions. I'll also be interviewing author Heather Choate, who shares her story of being pregnant and diagnosed with breast cancer. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you can take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but many of you do not know me as a composer. My latest album, Restoration, was just released. Restoration is a continuation of the first album, Consolation. I like to think of these albums like books. Each original composition is written like a chapter in a book. And like in any story, the character goes from a sense of grief and loss, and at the end of Consolation finds hope for his future. In Restoration, he has an awakening. And in that awakening, he recognizes all the things in his life which are not healthy, and it helps him come to a place of restoration, becoming greater than he was before. You may purchase this album on iTunes or any other digital music store. The name of the album is Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you are currently hearing is entitled Restoration. Two teenage boys wanted to go fishing one day. They started early, and when they left the dock, they asked a local deckhand where a certain fishing spot was. He informed them it was one hour directly north of them. They found the spot and had a great time catching fish left and right. But all of a sudden, a fog rolled in and they realized they didn't have enough time to get back to the shore before they were enveloped in the fog. Finally, when they started the engine, they realized they couldn't see anything at all. However, they both remembered they had to retrace their path and head due south. Because of the density of the fog, they had to go incredibly slow. After the first hour, when they thought they would have arrived, they were fearful that they were headed in the wrong direction. The boy who was in the front started to scream that they were lost and that they would be swept out to sea. The boy driving, he too was scared, but he made the tough decision to keep going in the direction he knew that was the way home. Eventually, they did make it home safely. But if the boat's pilot had changed his mind and listened to the other boy, they would surely have been swept out to sea. Just like you, listen to your gut and trust your instincts. Making difficult decisions. All throughout our day, we make decisions. Some decisions are very subconscious as far as how we're sitting, what we're eating, how we concentrate during a meeting. And those are things that just happen kind of in the background of our mind. But there are those times when we have to make very difficult decisions. And when that happens, sometimes we can get very overwhelmed because we're not sure which direction we should go. It's always important to seek wise counsel, whether that's professionally, medically, or just people with whom we really trust. When it comes to surrounding yourself with certain people, it's really important to recognize that there are four categories of people. In social psychology, we discuss this as far as when you look at 100% of people, in other words, 100 people overall, there are four different categories. And I want to run through those real quickly. In fact, I did a YouTube episode and wrote an article about this on my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, where you can read more about it then. But it's applicable here because in the four categories, we want to make sure we stay in one category when we seek this wise counsel. Out of 100 people, 25 of those people are not going to like you. They're not going to be for you. They're not going to encourage you. You don't even register on the radar. The next group of 25 people aren't for you. They don't care for you at all. They don't care to support you, but they could be talked into liking you and supporting you and caring for you. The next 25 group of people like you, they care for you. You are important in their life, but something can happen where all of a sudden they don't talk to you anymore or they speak negatively about you and there's a huge falling out. And the last 25 people, 
are those types of people that are going to be for you regardless. It doesn't matter what you say or do. They're going to love you. They're going to cherish you. They're going to respect you in everything you do. When you look at the energy output that you have in all 100 people or all four categories, it's very important not to give them all the same amount of energy. You know, sometimes I hear this and I think, gosh, everybody likes me, which is not true (laughs) at all. (laughs) So when you can really recognize who is in that first category, because even the people who could be talking to liking you, that's still a very tenuous relationship and they could fall back into that pattern of not liking you. So when you can really surround yourself with people and really give that energy and allow those people who are in that last category to support you and honor you and give you the insight you need, it then gives you the understanding of who you should ask when you have to make these decisions. These people will look at you holistically and say, all right, this is what I feel for you because I love you and care about you. And that is the type of people with whom you should surround yourself. That's a really good baseline to find a sounding board for those people to maybe speak into your life. But what happens if those people still tell you something that you feel is wrong for you? That's a really difficult time in your life as well. One thing I would suggest is when you talk to these people, set up the dialogue with simply saying, I just need an ear right now. I need to just get this off my chest. I don't need an opinion, but I just want to say this to you. And when you start to speak what you're struggling with or maybe some of the options for you, your intuition or your spirit will then start to tell you what is right for you. And as you speak it aloud, that's when that decision starts to become solidified in you. Because the next step is, should they give you their opinion? If they give you an opinion that feels slightly off, your body will start to feel very uncomfortable. Either your heart rate starts to increase a little bit, your your thoughts immediately become much more powerful as far as you feel defensive or you have to justify your thoughts. And if that's the case, you really need to be aware that your spirit and mind and body are all trying to tell you something in that moment. Because if you feel defensive or justify, like I said, that is pretty much you telling yourself, I've already made up my mind. And so when you've made up your mind, you don't necessarily need to have the advice from those other people after that because it makes sense for you. Now, there's nothing wrong with after you've made your decision to speak with these people to get maybe more of a fleshed out version of what that decision should look like or how it could impact the people around you. Because remember, every decision we make doesn't just affect us personally, it affects our environment. What I choose to do today affects the people with whom I associate that day or with the people who are in my life. So we do have an accountability to make sure that we look at all aspects of that as far as how it affects us and how it affects the people around us. So in a quick little recap, surround yourself with that top category of people, use them as a sounding board, be aware of what your body feels like, of how you're feeling, and that will give you a good indication of the direction you need to go. Use them as well to maybe flesh out that idea to make sure that you haven't seen any blind spots. And from there, you'll be able to follow through with any hard decision you need to make. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the Academy entitled, When All Hell Breaks Loose. (laughs) We've all experienced when nothing seems to go right. This class specifically helps you process the event, regroup, and use what was thought as a stumbling block and turn it into a stepping stone. Enroll in it today. A quick little disclaimer. In today's interview, I talk about what I call non-killer cells. (laughs) Actually, it's natural killer cells. (laughs) See, even a quote-unquote expert can say the wrong word. Heather Choate is a founder of Pandosphere Project, an online coaching business which she created after using the principles of law of attraction to successfully fight breast cancer. Her best-selling memoir, Fighting for Our Lives, has touched the hearts of thousands. She has appeared on the homepage of Yahoo, Fox News, CBS, and First for Women magazine. Welcome to my show, Heather. Thank you, James. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. 
Well, thank you. Now, overcoming breast cancer, I can't even imagine what that must be like for you. I mean, I have friends who have experienced this in the past, and I'm really glad to speak with someone who has successfully overcome it. What a feat for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was the most uh, challenging event of my life, that's for sure. <laughs> so tell me, how old were you when you first diagnosed? I was 29. 29 oh my gosh. Old, and I was a young mother, had five children, and I was just barely found out I was pregnant with baby number six. Oh, wow. And I was actually diagnosed. Oh my gosh. For some of my listeners who may not know how that works, let's elaborate a little bit on that. So I'm assuming you had to have chemotherapy? Right. So originally... Yeah, originally, um, the doctors were saying I needed to actually end the pregnancy because the hormones from the pregnancy were feeding the cancer. Wow. And it was already spreading uh, to my lymph nodes and and beyond. And so it was a really dangerous situation. And we did a lot of um, deep searching for oh my gosh, a bet. solution and were successfully able to find a, a specialist up in Denver that treats young women with cancer and pregnant women. And so with her treatment plan, we were able to do four rounds of chemo while I was pregnant. And there's some kinds of chemo that are safer than others during pregnancy. Not that it's an ideal situation, of course, Um, but we were able to do the four rounds of chemo. So I had the big belly and bald head. Uh, And that's like, you can see that on the cover of my book. That's the picture there. I actually got whistled at at a gas station. So (laughs) that kind of thing, but I guess they do. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they're just trying to make my day, but it works. So funny. (laughs) Now with what you said earlier, so to be told that it's either your life or the baby's life, for you to be told that you have a beautiful baby in you and the only way for you to be treated is to abort the pregnancy and to follow through with the regime that they had for you. I, I can't even imagine. But, but let's, just, let's just talk about the, the emotional turmoil you must have experienced there. Yeah, it was just a huge shock. The whole time they were, when we were doing the tests um, and going through the biopsy and everything, everyone, all the doctors were saying, oh yeah, this is probably nothing. You know, it's probably just a cyst. And then to find out that it actually was cancer and that it was actually like a life-threatening condition was just beyond shocking. Um, I'll never forget that day when I was, we lived in Colorado. So I was outside, we had 20 acres of beautiful mountain forest. Um, my kids are outside playing. It was just a gorgeous June day and like everything seemed so right. And then I got that news and I was out on the deck, um, just absolutely shocking. And immediately I was like, well, I'm not just worried about me. I'm worried about my baby too. What does that mean? Yes, of course. Baby. And, um, I think it, the thing that I took away from it the most was just listening to that like intuition that we all have inside mm-hmm. and it's going to be different for everyone, you know, uh, but really listening to that and staying true to what you feel like your gut is telling you yeah, and staying true to that no matter what, because we definitely encountered a, a lot of opposition in the beginning Sure, and that was very yeah. difficult, but luckily internally I knew where I stood and that helps things a lot. Um, especially when I had doctors telling me, I was risking my life. I probably wasn't going to make it. And then even family members that, you know, not everyone's going to agree with that choice and that's okay. But I knew I had to follow my own gut and, and listen to that voice. I think that in itself is such a powerful epiphany. Yes, that's something we all should be able to do, but to hold fast to what you feel in your heart or your gut is telling you in the moment, regardless of the opposition, regardless of what professionals may say or family members who, of course, have your best interest in mind, but going against the grain to such a degree, knowing that it could potentially cost you your life. Right. Yeah. It was truly like, you know, are you willing to actually die for that? You know, and, and for me, I was, yeah. I was willing to die if it meant saving my baby. Um, 
And that just gave me a lot of peace in yeah. a very tumultuous time. <laughs> so during this time that you're pregnant and you're going through the chemotherapy treatment, and I'm sure there were ups and downs, highs and lows. I mean, anyone who's on chemotherapy themselves would struggle with that. But with a child, how were you able to navigate through all the aches and growing pains of having the baby, as well as being on chemotherapy? I, I can't even imagine. That was extremely difficult, yes. <laughs> um, I couldn't have done it without others. I'm a very independent person, I think, by nature. But I really had to learn to mm-hmm. lean on friends and family and allow them to help me. And so that taught me some humility. Mm-hmm. And it taught me to like open my heart to allow others to to help me and to serve me and that that's okay. Sure. Um, it didn't mean I was any less of a person. It just meant that they were there to help me in a time when I needed it, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was one thing that was really beautiful about that for me. Um, and then to know how much others might need me in turn now, you know? Yeah. Everyone out there is fighting their own battle of, of one kind or another. And like just to have that compassion on other mm-hmm. people is so important. Yeah. But um, It definitely draws people together in a powerful way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I really turned to nutrition. I wanted to take a really holistic approach to my health. Um and to get to some really sound principles. So I really like worked on my mindset and, um, and working to put myself in a good mind frame to handle the emotional issues of cancer as well as the physical ones. Now, when you look at your life prior to being diagnosed, were there a lot of changes that came about from it or did you find that it was a complete paradigm shift for you or maybe even a world changer for you as far as what you were doing versus what you chose to do afterwards, as far as your nutrition, your health, your mind, body, your spirit? Yeah, in some ways. Um, luckily, I had a pretty good foundation of uh, self-awareness sure. mentally, I think, before. But the problem was that I got lulled into what I feel like the comfort zone is, right? Like complacency before. And when you have something like that happen, it just shakes everything up. Like yeah, it just wakes I'll you up so much. And the things that I knew I needed to work on and I hadn't been became big priorities, you know, mm-hmm. I realized I might not have much time and I really need to get this right. Um, some of my own insecurities, self-doubt, just that those limiting beliefs. Um, and I also harbored a lot of, honestly, I'm just being really transparent, but honestly, a lot of bitterness towards some people, um, and hurts that I carried in my life. Mm-hmm. And I never really worked through those things cause it was more, uh, it was too painful. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to face those things. Um, and so now I realize that it's so important, even though it's temporarily painful, when you do work through, through those things, then you have so much more freedom and joy in your life afterwards. So, Well, yeah, you, you think about like a, a picture of water. If you already have water, if you will, or resentment or bitterness in your life, then the, the, you can't refill anything more. We only have a certain amount of capacity for things. And if, if that's already being filled with things that are not healthy for us, well, then there's no way that we can have all these additional things in our life come into our life rather and to fill that because there's no space for it. Yeah, that is a great analogy. You put it really well. <laughs> I can tell you're doing this well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. So now, how did you find, um, how did, so after you were on the other side of it, which congratulations, by the way, how, how, what do you do now to help people kind of um, really reframe their own life and really help them find a place of listening to their gut and a place of, of peace in their life? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of it is just asking ourselves those questions that we've been avoiding. And, um, that's what is so great about a coach or a mentor is that they'll see things that that we don't see. Right. And they'll Mm -hmm. see that, you know, we have been skirting around an issue and instead with like patience and love and guidance, they'll help direct you to salt resolve that issue. 
Um, and so that's one thing that we really like to do is to help identify people's limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. and whatever, you know, negative energy that they're kind of trapped inside themselves and how to release that, let it go and adopt what they'd rather have instead. And it's beautiful to see that, to see people transform their lives and overcome those issues. Some of them have been there since, you know, childhood. And so to recreate your life and create it the way that you want it to, it's such a beautiful thing to witness and a beautiful gift to give each other. So. Yeah, it certainly is. And you know, some of the disconnects that many people have, I mean, we, we all have it to a certain degree, I suppose. But when we hold on to that bitterness and that resentment, in a way, we're trying to punish the other person for what they've done to us. But and we've heard this before, but in but we're, what we're really doing is we're the ones who, who are kind of creating that, that stress within ourselves. We're the ones who are actually creating the body to kind of shut down because we're harboring this, this bitterness to kind of bring this down in a very um, a few sentences as opposed to a long <laughs> it's the lecture here I could do. But when, if, for example, laughter, when you laugh, it actually creates non-killer cells in the bloodstream, which then anything that has that, any type of tumor, tumorous type of um, cell or anything like that, when you laugh, it actually creates these non-killer cells, which actually destroys all those tumorous type of uh, cells in your bloodstream. And then they've also linked that when you carry any type of bitterness or any type of resentment, that actually destroys those non-killer cells, which then allows for the tumorous cells to come into one's bloodstream. And so they found that people who live longer and are more healthy are people who are happy, are joyful. And of course, we know that in, you know, a joyful life is good. But when we really look at that from a physiological standpoint or a biological standpoint, it's interesting to see that there really is a correlation between our thoughts, which lead towards our emotions, and their emotions then translate to how the body expresses it. So if we're, if our thoughts about a certain situation is holding on to something from our past, which causes that resentment, then your body will then not produce the elements that it needs to to fight off anything that could cause any type of tumorous or any type of uh, negative ailment within our body. Right. And so it's such a powerful way. And I just, I can, like I said, I can talk about this. I'm sure you can talk about this for hours as well. But it's a really interesting point that our life is so determined by our belief system. What we believe to be true becomes true. So our thoughts determine our emotions, which determine what we feel. So I'm so glad you're able to take that with, with the people with whom you work and help them kind of look at their thought system, which then says, well, how does that manifest in your life today? And then let's really look at how it's really affecting your body. So I think it's such a powerful statement when people can really have that epiphany like you did as well to kind of open up and say, wow, am I actually causing my body physically to break down? Or is this something I can live a life that's full of joy and peace and find that my body responds in kind? Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing that our thoughts have such effect on us physically. And I think more than what we ever realize, unless you're studying like that kind of neuroscience and biology, you can actually map different chemicals, like different thoughts of different chemicals that then affect the body in different ways. And that was something I was completely, well, maybe not completely, (laughs) something I was not as aware of as I am now. Um, and I think it's really vital that people understand that for sure. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And like I said, I mean, we, as a lay person, just anybody can just, you know, think about their life and, but they don't realize that there, there actually is a, is a correlation between those things. And so I'm glad that people are able to, to have, and just even on this show, I'm sure what you teach as well, people have that awareness now to, to really be aware that if I am holding on to something, it is going to come out in a negative way in my life. Right. So tell me more about your book. Sure. So the memoir is called Fighting for Our Lives. Mm. It makes sense um, now. Sure. Now that I know more than the story. (laughs) Um, And it is uh, all my journal entries that I kept. I kept a a journal that I wrote in almost daily during our journey. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to have something really raw in the moment and not censor it, Mm -hmm. not make it 
better or worse than what it was, but just be really transparent about what we were going through. Um, And so it's just, it it was very, um, I felt very vulnerable to to share it, obviously. I'm sure. Because it's like a window right into my own life and my own mind. And you see the the weaknesses and the strengths. And um, it it was a challenge to share it, but then I saw that there were a lot of people that could benefit from it. And so I knew that it would be worth it if it could help anyone else. So tell me about that. When you read this now and you go back and look at it, does what happens for you when you see then versus now? Oh man, it's kind of hard to read it. I'll be I'm honest. Sure, um, I can't even imagine. There are some moments that it's really, it's really beautiful to relive those, especially like you said, some of the humorous moments. I, I really to dwell on those now. Um, but then hearing about some of the difficulties that we went through, it gives me appreciation for where I'm at now. It's one of those things you don't realize what you have until it's gone, right? And I made a promise to myself that I would remember the lessons and I would remember how hard it was. And, you know, when I was so sick that I was just like literally laying on the couch all day and had six children, a newborn, and I could not help them at all. And I realized how important health is like physical health, um, because without it, I could do nothing. And I felt completely helpless (laughs) and just remembering how awful just honestly, just that's the best word. It's just awful um, that that was to be completely incapacitated. And I promise I would remember that. So I would appreciate my health, appreciate, you know, having vitality and ability to serve and to do good. And also to have compassion on those that are going through similar circumstances, getting a new perspective and a new understanding of what that's really like. Yeah. Well, for you to be laying on the couch and feeling so sick and so ill from the chemotherapy and being pregnant and having five kids running around, how was it for you as, you know, you, you cherish being a mother, of course, and then not being able to do the things that you did before as a mother. Um, how was it for your self-esteem? Did that affect it at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have pages and pages of me ranting about mm. how I like being, uh, you know, unable to take care of them. Yeah. But then at the same time, the gratitude for those that were there helping me and my husband, who was just such a rock during the oh, whole thing. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And he was, you know, up all night with the baby and then taking care of the kids all day and cleaning the house and, you know, all these things that had been my responsibilities up until that. Sure. Yeah. Just seeing his love and his steadiness just gave me a lot of appreciation and gratitude for those moments. But it was hard for me. It was really hard. And um, I just try to take every moment and see what I could learn from it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Like we always have something that we can learn from those hard times. Certainly. And um, it's just a matter of choosing to see it that way. Yeah, exactly. It's always about the reframe. There's always a reframe in a situation. We just have to figure out how to look at it differently. I always like to tell people, think of your life like a Rubik's Cube or like that moment, like a Rubik's Cube. And a cube, you can look at it from six different directions. But unfortunately, our go-to is usually only to look at it in one way. But if you spin that cube, you have six different ways in which you can look at it. And that's just a really good analogy, I think, for ways in which you can look at any situation. There's always another way to look at it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. uh, How do you, how do you deal with, or how do you maybe have helped people or maybe just even in your own life? Because for so long, your identity, and this is my assumption, these are not your words, but my assumption would be that your identity was wrapped up in being an amazing mother for your five children. And then during that time, not being able to do those things, like you said, how do you help people in general, just for yourself, even how do you help people maybe broaden their version of their identity? Because it's can't, sometimes it's not always going to be what it used to be. That is so true. Yeah. Just as to illustrate that, um, I definitely had some self image issues, like mm-hmm. with my body changing so much. I had a complete left mastectomy. Oh, wow. So completely losing a breast as a woman and dealing with that. Um, and, and just going through that, like 
I'm like, who am I? You know, sure. I, I thought I was this person and I'm, I'm honestly not that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways it's better. And in other ways I just have to make peace with it because yeah. <laughs> there's some things that we, we can't change about ourselves, but mm-hmm. most that are the most important we can change. And so for me, I think it's just getting that we hear it over and over, but it's so simple and so true to get that image of who we really want to be and what we really want our lives to be and to hold fast to that and not listen to, you know, what we heard as a kid growing up Mm -hmm. or what our teachers said or what our friends say, or even what we tell ourselves like that. Oh, I can't do that because I'm too old or I can't do that because I'm too young or whatever it is. And just really defining what we want and then acting as if we are that person already. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You act as if I think so many times through just, just trial and trials in general, it can be very, I know for me, I've gone through many things in my life and when I'm under trial and all of a sudden you kind of see who you really are when either something's stripped away or how you handle a situation or, you know, what, what happens when no one's around and you fall apart, which of course there's nothing wrong with that. But when all that trial and tribulation happens, it really shines a light on who you are. And I think it's so important for every person when they go through that time, because it's not about if it's about when, because we'll all go through some things in our life, but to really be able to afterwards be to think, you know, just like yourself, I'm an amazing person. I did a really good job with this. And then, you know, to be proud of yourself and to really assimilate that learning and lesson and to really be proud in the next chapter of your life to say, I have, I'm very tenacious. I'm very strong. I have a really good moral compass, whatever the, the outcome was that you were really proud of that can then become who you are. But the external versions or external attributes that maybe just life gives us, you know, let's say someone is, someone is in great shape or someone has a great job or someone has this or that, whatever it may be. A lot of that can just be stripped away. So when we can look at the identity of our, our emotional makeup or our personality or the, the strength that we have really looking to that, then everything else just becomes an external extension of who we are and not, not who we are exactly. Yeah, that is so true. And like you said, it's amazing when you go through those things, what you learn about yourself and then take yes. the best of that and moving it forward into the rest of your life. That is, yeah, you put that really well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think it's so true. You know, I'm, I'm just reflecting on some things in my own life as well. It's just, it's true. I mean, there's, and sometimes it's, it's, it's not too pretty when we look at, maybe reflect later and be like, wow, I had no idea that was a part of my life and that whole blind spot. And that's where some of the grief comes in because sometimes we think, oh, I, I've, I'm this great person and we are, but there's that one blind spot that we just don't know about. And when it's really brought to life either publicly or just in, in our quietude and stillness and we discover it, it's, it's it's not pretty, but the goal is that just like we said earlier with that picture of water, when you realize that and you can release that, that's then when the learning comes in. That's when we can appreciate other people. That's when that, that humility comes into such a degree that causes us to just become this, this immediate change. Because once you can truly recognize that you need to change something in your life because you're not proud of it and you're, you're open to it, your life completely changes. Your, your personality changes. The, the, the people with whom you associate changes in such a degree that everybody, you just exude love. You exude compassion, you exude peace. And, and even though, like I said, even though it's difficult in that time to experience it, but in the end result, it's such a beautiful gift you can give yourself and a gift you can give to the people around you. Yeah, that is so true. And not to resist that, you know, sometimes we want to resist that change so much, but just to allow allow yourself to embrace it. And yeah, it kind of sucks for a while, (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah, it does. And move through that pain and give yourself some compassion and when you recognize those things in yourself that you don't like, um, yeah, just to have compassion for yourself and be like, 
this is might be where I'm at right now, but it's not where I'm going to stay. Exactly. I'm going to move through this. Yeah. One of the things I really say, just to wrap up here, but I always tell people, sometimes we have to say something and then use the, um, use the additional two words at the end of the sentence, for now. I'm really hurting for now. You know, and so when we can look at some of those things in a very temporary way, we don't emotionally forecast and think, oh my gosh, my life is going to be like this forever. So when we can just use those yes. two little words for now, then it's say, okay, I can do this for now. I only have to go this a little bit longer because I'm going to get the learning. But that for now component really, I think, helps people say, okay, it's not forever. This really, I can really live in the moment right now, get what I need to learn what I need to learn. And then I know something different is, is on the horizon. Yeah. When I was going through the hardest parts of it physically, I would say this quote over and over. I think it's by Muhammad Ali, um, but it's pain is temporary. It may last for a minute or an hour or a day or even a year. If I quit, however, it will last forever. Mm. So I would say that over and over and over because when you're in the midst of that kind of hardship, yeah. whether it's emotional, physical, relationship, um, financial, whatever the, whatever the hardship is, but to say those things over, it, it feels like you're going to be stuck there forever mm-hmm. sometimes. Oh, it sure does. And just to like remind yourself that if I quit, then it will last forever. Yes. But if I keep going, it's going to get better. It has to. Yes. There's no way I can be stuck here forever. Exactly. <laughs> so that's that's, that's really a phenomenal cool. quote. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, Heather, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show today and having you share your story and being very transparent with my listeners. I'm sure that's very difficult, but we've all been very inspired and blessed by what you've shared with us today. If my listeners would like to find out more information about you and all the amazing things you're doing, where would they find your information online? Yeah, awesome. So my book is on Amazon, Fighting for Our Lives. And they can also go to my personal website, which is com. Wonderful. Once again, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. Thank you, James. I really appreciate it. It's been great. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. If you'd like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.